You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Page to Stage, a conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Stevie Coleman. I'm an account executive at Spotco. Welcome. It's so great to have you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Can you explain what Spotco is? Yeah, Spotco is a full-service ad agency, and by that, it just means we kind of do it all. Um, Everything from traditional advertising, print, outdoor, TV, to social, to partnerships. We do ticket analysis. It's a whole lot of whatever you want. It's a big machine. Now, they started on Broadway with rent, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually have their coffee table book. That's like my little nerd moment. from Rent to Revolution, and it was they published it after Hamilton came out. Right. And it has all logos. It's such a cool book um, with logos of all shows and the different types of um, logos that they went through to get their final designs. So I nerd out over that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we're going to have a really good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we'll get into what an account executive does, but I'm curious as to what how you started out. So where did you go to school or what did you do right after graduating high school? Yeah, so I... After graduating high school, I knew it was going to be college. Um, 
and I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And it's funny because I went to school to be a psychology major. Oh my God, uh, me too. Did you really? Yeah, but I did not actually follow through. Well, that's where, that's where this story's going. Oh um, I was really excited. I was like, I just want to help people. And I thought that was like really a, an amazing way to do it. And so I started with that. And, you know, you start school with your gen eds and all of that. And I got into some of that. I got into some of my psychology. And then I had like a mid-college crisis where I was like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like if I think about myself after college five years from now, like in my day-to-day, am I going to be happy doing this? Am I going to be fulfilled? And so, I'm again, all of these thoughts as a sophomore Did you want to go college, through like 10 plus years of schooling? Right. I'm like, after this, there's grad school and all these other things you have to do. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is it. And I always wanted to work in entertainment. I just knew that I couldn't sing or dance or act. But I was like, there's still a way. Like, there's still other people, right? Um, And I think I probably pulled this from, like, TV or a movie. But I was like, I'll be a publicist. And so I took my first uh, communications-related course. It was Intro to Ad and PR. And I was like, oh, this PR stuff is pretty cool. But this advertising stuff is also really cool. Um, So then I started looking more into UNC's School of Journalism and I just have the most indecisive nature. So I picked the most like hodgepodge uh, major that there is, and that's strategic communications. And that is advertising, public relations, and marketing. I was like, whatever I decide to do later in life, I'll have all the tools that I need. And so that's how I got into advertising. What part of your life was theater in before this decision? I will say theater... In a way, was a part of my life. I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is a big military town, and there's not a lot of theater there. Um, But I like to think there are small moments where theater was a part of my life, and that's where I sort of became interested. I think it really started with like Disney movies and just the idea, like the structure of a musical, song as vehicle, like telling these really big, awesome stories and also having music to accompany them. Loved that. Um, when I was a kid, I my mom put me in dance classes, which was really fun. And if you know anything about recitals, they kind of last all day. And so in between waiting for my next dance, you kind of just sit in the audience. And I remember I was about nine years old. The props people kind of like rolled out these bars that looked like like for like straight out of like jail or something and the lights were red and I was like what the heck is this and I looked at my program and it was cell block tango and I was like what's going on and it was all of the dance teachers doing their rendition of cell block tango and it blew my mind just it was so dramatic and theatrical and like when you're in dance like that the point is to tell stories through movement but they were doing it in such an amazingly like over the top way that I was just so enamored with it. So that's my one one big moment. And then another big moment, um, I used to spend a lot of summers with my aunt and my cousins. And I don't know how this came into our lives, where the DVD came from, but we happened upon the DVD version of Rent. And I didn't, again, not close to Broadway. I didn't know anything about Rent or its significance to like the Broadway community. I just knew that like my aunt had us harmonizing to Seasons of Love and we were singing La Vie Boheme and those like themes were probably not age appropriate at the time, but it was just so, again, incredible to me the way that they were telling stories and you were getting to learn more about these characters through their songs. And it just, 
it it really sparked that sort of joy in me about musical theater and a lot of different movie musicals. We had Hairspray, we had uh, Dream Girls, and all of their accompanying soundtracks. And so in the South, I think that was like the closest that I could come to it. And I will say, small caveat, that's why I'm so excited for like In the Heights, because knowing that that is going to be some kid's like first exposure to musical theater in like a movie theater, I think that's absolutely incredible. And it's such a great way to expose people who may never be this close to New York to musical theater. Do you feel the same way about tours? Like when tours go, I'm not sure if there is any like theater houses down in, in, in your city that had like Broadway shows touring, but would you say that a Broadway national tour would be the same thing as far as that first exposure for people? I would say so. I feel like a lot of different people who didn't grow up around here, or at least a lot of my friends who didn't grow up in New York, that was their first thing. It was the tour version of this or whatever. And I think, yeah, I think it fills that same uh, that same gap as like your first Broadway show because it's still you getting to experience live theater. And it might not be, you know, in New York City, but it is still like this big theatrical event. And if it makes that impact on you, then I, I would say absolutely national tours count. So when you when you moved up here, what did you look for in a job and how did you find yourself at Spotco? You started as an intern, right? I did. So it trails back a little bit before I graduated from college. It was the summer between my sen- my junior year and my senior year. And I had just been talking to somebody that I worked with about entertainment and communications and also like wanting to work in theater. And she was like, you know, there's this really cool company called Spotco. They did the art for Hamilton. Like that might be something that you should look into. And I remember that day I went on their website and was completely blown away, not just by Hamilton, but by all of the shows that they had worked on, were currently working on. And I knew in that moment, I was like, I have to work here. And I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know who I have to talk to, but I need to be here. And so I started looking around and, you know, sending the emails, trying to make the phone calls. Um, And it actually, what really started everything is I sent a LinkedIn message to a woman who worked at Spotco, but I could also see was an alum of UNC. And so I was basically like, hey... I would love to just talk to you more about your job. Go heels. Like, that's what we say in my college, (laughs) you know, and whoosh into the ether. Um, And she, it was funny enough, she was on maternity leave at the time. So, like, when she didn't get back to me, I thought she just, like, didn't want to talk to me. Um, And she ended up replying after I had accepted an internship in New York already. It was a different, like, PR-related internship. And she was like, hey, would love it if you could, like, come by the office, you know? And we did. We talked about... She was also a psychology major. So we talked about our backgrounds in psychology and how that links to advertising and just everything related to Spotco, which I loved. And I was like, if all I get out of this is this conversation, then I feel fulfilled. Um, and she was like, you know, I don't really know what things are looking like right now, but like, it was great talking to you. Then a couple days later, I got an email and she was like, Hey, I would love to bring you on as like an intern. And it was like the most non-traditional thing. We have a wonderful internship program now. Um, but it was like the most non-traditional thing. I kind of just shadowed her for a couple days a week, but it was everything to me. And what kind of position was she in to just offer you an internship like this? Right. So she, at the time, I want to say was like the VP of research or something. Like she was doing a lot of research related things. She's now one of our co-managing directors. So girl power, shout out to her. Um, 
but yeah, she was just, she kind of like had me at her side and I was like helping put together decks and just researching, you know, different producers and all of this other stuff. Um, and it was really helpful in terms of getting a lay of what advertising looks like in the Broadway space because at school they teach you about advertising in general. So you can take these tools and advertise for Broadway or take these tools and advertise for like toothpaste. Is there a difference? Have you found that there's like a difference in like strategy? I mean, if I think about like running a campaign for toothpaste, like the market for toothpaste is going to get a little nerdy. But like toothpaste, if you walk into an aisle and you see a bunch of toothpaste, you're going to go with the one that you know. So it's like, how do we get people to commit to our brand because there's such a hard brand loyalty to products like that? And then it's like, if you want to get people to switch, it's like, how do we get people to... I don't know, like this new whitening feature or like this is 40% cheaper than the other brands or whatever. Um, So it's like, I feel like with things like that, it kind of focuses on the nuances. But I think with Broadway, each show is so unique. And and in certain ways, you're focusing on the nuances of saying like, hey, we've got this choreographer that you probably know, or we've got this lead actor that you probably like, or we've got this many Tony nominations. But as a whole, I feel like no two campaigns even really look the same because every project is so unique. So that's the work that you did when you were an intern, right? And then did you go somewhere in between actually getting a job there? I, when I graduated from college, I didn't have a job. So I was doing a lot of looking around. I had reached back out to the woman who I interned under and it just, nothing was really happening. And also it was, I graduated in May. And so if you know anything about the Broadway landscape, it's not a good time for emails that are not related to the Tonys. Um, And so I was just like looking around and I was considering different internships. I was like, maybe I'll intern for another summer and then hope for a full-time position after that. And I was in the process of like actually interviewing for two other uh, internships and she was my reference so she emailed me and she was like oh so you're like looking at other things or whatever and not in like a bad way but just like knowing that I was in a space where like I'm here and I'm ready to work and she I mean obviously she gave me the reference and everything but I remember I was leaving um, an, an internship interview and I got an email from her and she was like hey I have some people that I want you to talk to. Can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, absolutely, I will come in tomorrow. Uh, so that's kind of how that happened. That is so cool. First of all, I just want to like give her some credit and also give you some credit. The fact that like you sent this blind LinkedIn message and then she just like straight up offered you the internship. And I'm assuming based on what the story you just said that you didn't like really ask for anything after that first conversation. Is that right? No, like not really. It, it was just a, it was a good conversation. I think that I mean, obviously, it was one of those like, if anything, like if anything is open, then like, please just keep me in mind, but not expecting anything. It was like the middle of the summer. So I I wasn't expecting her to take me on the way she did. And her name is Shelby Ladd. So like, big ups to Shelby. Shout yeah. out Shelby. Thank you, Shelby. <laughs> so I'm curious as to now. So has since when you started full time? With Spotgo, how has your position evolved? Or if it hasn't, that's totally fine. Like, I'm curious as to what you were doing when you first started. And then now, like, what are your responsibilities today? I think when I, well, when I first started, it was a lot of onboarding, a lot of getting to know the shows that I was working with. How many people are on your team, like in your position? There are three account execs total. And do you guys split up all the accounts, all the shows? Yeah, no two account executives work on the same show. Okay. And how many shows do, does Spotco currently rep? Do you know? Oh my goodness. 
Like I don't. I don't know that. How many are you responsible for? I work on five different accounts, two of which are institutions. So they have their own. Mm-hmm. They they have multiple things going on at one time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have a, a a pin in my notes to ask you about that later. Okay. <laughs> so we'll go back to that. Perfect. <laughs> um. So yeah. So. Can you take us on the process from start to finish of one of your current shows or a show that you've had like a long running relationship with? So one of the shows that I work on at Spotco is Beetlejuice, which I love. I like to think of my accounts as like my little babies. So you can't have a favorite. Um, but I do love working on this show in particular so much. Uh, so when I started at Spotco, we were already in the works with Beetlejuice, but The process usually starts with a pitch. And so that is just a presentation that the agency puts together and we show it to the producers as a way of saying like, if you choose to come here, like here's what we can do for you. And it's really fun and very informative and just gets us all on the same page about like what the agency can provide. Do you come in with some artwork and some sample uh, campaigns? Yeah, sometimes there are already some ideas or concepts that uh, our creative team is moving towards. I was, like I said, I wasn't exactly involved in this pitch process, but part of my onboarding for this account specifically was getting familiar with the pitch deck and knowing like, here's what the client is expecting. Here are some of the things that we have already told them we're planning on doing. So that way I would sort of walk into the room aligned with here are the goals for the show, which is really helpful. Uh, So after the pitch, once we have the show, we get into the key art development process. And it's really, I'll even say even bigger than that. It's like a big like branding exercise. Um, So we start to think about what the look of the show is going to be, but also what like the feel is going to be. What's the tone? What's the voice? Like what does all of that look like? And are you communicating with the director, with the producer, with the designer during this process? Sometimes. Um. On different shows that I've been on, we have maybe got on a call with the producers and the creative team for the show and just talked to them about what it is they expect in a campaign, what they don't want to see in a campaign, what they want the audience to walk away with. Because this show, as much as I think about it as like my baby, it's definitely their baby. And so they want uh, for us to fully understand what the show means to them and and what uh, what they want to see out in the world in terms of representing the show, which I think is really cool. It's like a good step for our creative team to say, okay, we have like our marching orders and we can go and try to execute what we think makes the most sense. Awesome. And are you guys running digital and social media for Beetlejuice as well? Or is it... Yeah. You are. That's great. Are. Is there a time where you would just be doing like what I would dub traditional marketing or just advertising and then having because I know that there are a few agencies that are digital marketing based right that makes sense like I that's think situation their sole focus. And, right yeah absolutely you so, guys are pretty you you go all in on all aspects is that pretty standard on most of your accounts I would say so I would think Beetlejuice we are all in uh, with Mean Girls we have traditional advertising and then we collaborate with Situation who does the digital and the social. So you guys are working in collaboration mm-hmm. and going back and forth with ideas and stuff or they're really just asking you guys for graphics and artwork. I think it kind of works in tandem. Uh, being the the creative agency, we are responsible for developing the branding and like the style guide, but from there 
I think that we kind of work in tandem to see what works. I, I Maybe a lot of it does come from our end in terms of branding and voice, but I think that especially when you're working with an agency that does social, it's their responsibility to learn the voice and maybe even help grow the voice uh, since they're working with it so closely. So with Beetlejuice... Uh, I think we should just go all in with Beetlejuice and like yes, really please. go through the whole process because we could even go through like Tony season right. and um, to, you know, all the things that have been surrounding it lately in the in the news. Um, so how was pre-production for Beetlejuice? Did you did you work on it out of town, too? I did. That's what I was going to say. The the interesting layer to my journey with Beetlejuice is that I worked on it before we got to DC. So I remember like it opened in DC. I went down for a weekend to see it. And it was such an interesting time because I think that it really gave all of us the chance to kind of step back and look at what the show is. And our research team was very, very much involved in terms of getting gauging audience response to the show and, and what it was in DC. And I think that it helped us sort of shift our advertising efforts for Broadway um, because a lot of what we were seeing and especially what we were putting out is that like Beetlejuice is rude and raunchy and for adults and it's like adult humor. And that's what made sense for DC. But after sort of stepping back and, and looking at what people were saying about the show, it gave us a chance to say like, okay, maybe there are points where like Beetlejuice is so rude and raunchy that he starts to become unlikable. And maybe if we lean more into Lydia as like this female like hero sort of thing and we start to look more into like the family aspect of the show, it it became um, a turning point almost for advertising. And I will say props to our producers because they also took that research and were able to like relay it to the creative team who made their own decisions about how the show was going to change for Broadway. Um, so it, it, we all were making tricky. a lot of, yeah. It, like it's, we know from like ch- chatting with like writers and producers that those conversations can be very tough. Know, yeah. But <laughs> I think everybody, I think everyone really benefited from Uh, the out-of-town tryout and just really understanding what we had on our hands because I think we all very much believed in the show. It was just a matter of like getting it to a place where we we were all happy and we knew we could get people in the door and seeing this thing that we were all so excited about. Mm. So once you get to Broadway, what's that pre-opening campaign like? Yeah. And how does that change after opening? The big thing is we're even like building... uh, all the hype up to like mm. first preview because that's when people outside of the industry outside of like people who touch the show that's the first time you get a real audience in to see the show um so first preview is like a huge moment and you know a lot of the media plans it, it, from what i've seen are geared towards raising awareness because it's like you may open on Broadway and you start your first preview or whatever, but people have to know that you're there. So it's just raising awareness in the audiences that make sense. And sometimes it's like the lowest hanging fruit. Um, but you just have to get people in the door because that's how you get people talking about it. Um, but once a show opens, I think... So opening night, I'm sure, is a crazy time because do you... So we all must go on social media the day after a show opens and sees all the the new campaigns with all quotes from the reviews and such. What does it look like on your end trying to juggle all those incoming reviews 
and working on graphics and putting out campaigns that have to do with the response from audiences and the critics. And do you have those reviews in advance? Because I know that like critics will sometimes or usually go and review a show during previews. Right. So they're not necessarily doing it opening night, which is when they That's would when come, they come out. out. Right. Yeah. So you do you have some time w- with the reviews before they're No, not in my experience. I haven't seen like a review maybe the afternoon that a show is going to open or anything. I, they definitely like you said, they will see the shows beforehand and probably write the review. They just wait to release them until the night of. Um, But opening night's one of my favorites. Uh, It can be really crazy, but I just enjoy every aspect of it. Um, Do you get to actually enjoy the party, or are you actually working, or are there another set of people working at the same time as the party? Yeah, so the night starts with work. Um, So we leave the show. If If we get to see the show, then we'll leave the show. And then we usually have what's called the war room. And that's kind of where that's where it all happens. Um, We have our writers in there. We have um, just the accounts team and just the different people who need to be there helping make um, all the important decisions. And part of my job is just kind of helping collect the reviews. I think the standard is they come out like 10 o'clock. Sometimes if you like turn your phone on as you're walking out of the theater, they're like kind of already pouring in. Um, but we just wait. We wait for them to come in. And my job is sort of making sure that our writer knows where they all are. So it usually looks like, you know, she's on her computer, you know, looking at reviews. And I'll be like, okay, the New York Times is out. Okay, like Vulture's out, like that kind of thing. And we're making sure that we're in constant communication about what is coming out. And I'll start to skim them and say, okay, this is like a really good one. And it's like, it's her job to sort of pull the the little golden nugget out of the out of the review but if i can see just from like the headline or just from reading the first few paragraphs that maybe this one isn't so great then we don't have to prioritize that that and source. your writer is a co- is the copywriter mm-hmm. oh great oh cool yeah okay. so it's always good to have uh them on hand in the war room and then i will say going into opening night we usually have a, uh, a certain number of assets that we're planning on updating which is why you wake up in the morning and you see digital banners or you see social graphics that are already updated with last night's quotes uh those are usually the things we need to get out the door the soonest just because they're the easiest to switch over tv commercials like that's for the next day print ads are for the next day usually um, but the digital stuff is like the easiest to update. So that's the kind of thing that we would want to uh, make sure is done before we get to go enjoy the party. Yeah. And pro- I'm assuming, please tell me if I'm wrong, but digital, you can at least have like the structure of whatever the post is going to look like and then filter and, or, you know, just swap in the quote. Absolutely. And then make minor changes. Is that why you would? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, when uh, my project managers that I work with are very, very good about this, but when we're creating a plan for what opening night is going to look like and post opening is going to look like we had down to like a, a single banner and like the character count, you know exactly how much is going to be able to fit into that unit. And so we're already planning. Um, and sometimes you have like sort of fake copy. Sometimes it's like a fake quote or like it's like Latin or something. And you just put it in there to kind of hold the space of. And then once we get a quote, we're like, OK, this one's 15 characters. It can go in like this unit. And this one is like 30 characters. So it could fit into this unit it so it's it we try to make it as as seamless as possible right and how long does that take after the show is after you leave the show um 
I think it kind of depends on how reviews are going. Mm. Sometimes it's really great and you're getting all the good reviews. And so it's easy to find the best ones if you're getting them the best reviews from the best sources. Um, and then it's a matter of, okay, we've got our quotes. Let's get the producers in the room. What do you think? And then there are others where it's it's not as great. And so it's kind of, it sometimes feels like pulling teeth trying to find uh the best quote and it, it always works out but it's just like a matter of digging a little harder for it so you you pull the producers in the room like that night yeah oh usually wow. it, there i've experienced some producers where they're like i would rather not like talk about it tonight and then we just know that we'll talk about it in the morning um during our post open meeting or the next afternoon but then there's some producers that are like yes i would love to know so once we have everything together i or someone else uh will go out into the party to like find them and then we all get into the room and we just have a little chat about what we've got like what overall is happening in terms of the reviews and like here are the assets that we're ready to update if you approve of these selections wow i did not realize that that was all happening like at opening night yeah. instantaneous <laughs> it's crazy really all great. the stuff that happened and so how many people are on your team i guess specifically in the war room Hmm. Or I guess is it is there a difference between how many people you're working with on the on a on an account as, as you say versus just opening night? Well, I w- everyone that works on an account is not there opening night. So like our designers d- like aren't there. Um, our like video producers who help us produce like TV commercials and like radio spots and things like they're not in the room, but they still work on the account. It's usually just, like I said, the accounts people. So it's me, my account director, my project manager, my account manager, our copywriter. Um, and then just anyone who the client would, would like to have in the room. There's some of our more senior folks are in there. Um, I think it's funny having them in there because they always find a way to, if it's even if it's a good war room or if it's a bad war room, they always find a way to make it feel very fun and amicable no matter what's going on. They keep the mood very light. And I love that about having them in the room. I think that's very important. I mean, because it's like crunch time. So you, you feel the pressure, even if it's good, but you still need that like upbeat, like positive Oh, absolutely. I will say um, one of our co-founders, Tom Greenwald, is like the king of this. He can make a joke out of anything. He is just so good at like keeping spirits high. I mean, also being like honest and like, here's what we've got. But just like keeping spirits high, which is like needed in sometimes some of the more stressful times. Mm. So after the show opens and you're on your way to the Tonys. Yeah. Which is so, I will say, is really weird and unique. We were the last show to open for eligibility last year. So we opened on a Thursday. And then the following Tuesday was when they announced nominations. So you're jumping out of like, we just opened the show on Broadway and we have to sell this newly opened show. But also we have to talk about like our eight Tony nominations, including Best Musical. It's crazy. I didn't realize it was that, that like... Fast the turnaround. Turnaround. I, yeah. knew, I knew it's it was so quick. short, but I didn't Could realize give it was you a days. <laughs> so was this your first Tony season work season working at Spotco, or was this your second? This would have been my my first. How was Tony season different for maintaining all of your accounts versus just the normal? Oh, versus like the normal day to day non Tony season. <laughs> it's, the it really months. it really ramps up because um, there is the underlying like 
we have to sell the show. We have to make sure people are seeing the show. But there's the added layer of selling our show on a different level to a very specific group of people. And that's like the Tony voters. And we it's good to be able to use your nominations and your acclaim to sell the show to regular people who are going to see the show because for a certain audience that means something it means something to have x number of tony nominations or x tony nominated actor or whatever um but it's like almost like we're running a very specific campaign for just this wonderful group of people who we hope will vote for our show um so it's like just two two big campaigns at the same time, especially for Beetlejuice. It almost felt like two big campaigns at the same time. And I think we worked a lot to say like, okay, how can we make this work? Like our show just opened and we were nominated for a bunch of Tonys. So like, how can we make this work within one to kind of get our feet on the ground and not stretch ourselves too thin in one way or the other? Can you, I don't know if you're able to divulge any of this, any of this information, but could you talk about maybe some of the conversations that happened in like a Tony campaign meeting and like how those ideas kind of evolved over the Tony season? Right. I think not not even just for Beetlejuice, but for all shows that are running Tony campaigns, a lot of them, from what I know, just kind of start with like brainstorms of, okay, what can we do that is like unique and and speaks to what our show is and especially like category like whatever categories you're nominated for sometimes it's like we need to make a play for that so I remember for the ferryman we had um a brainstorm about that and you know we decided that one thing that made the most sense because of a particular nomination and I believe it had to do with the book um was a, a social video and it was a b-roll of the actors and then under it was the script like moving and it, you got to sort of see like how this is how the you know the script was written but this is also how it's translating on stage and that gets pushed out obviously to to uh the regular consumer but also to the tony voter that's like oh look at our big fancy book um that kind of thing so i think it is a lot of brainstorming what makes sense obviously you can update your digital banners um, but what makes sense and also like these Tony voters have probably seen it all and they might not be interested in like this script that you send them or this little trinket or whatever that you send. So like what is going to get across? What is going to be cool? What's going to make them like stop and look at this thing that you're sending them? Yeah, there's so many. I didn't realize that shows like send in like trinkets and stuff. Yeah. I saw that like is this that past year. It's. And the, the types of things are so different depending on what the show is. It's insane. Is that the responsibility of Spotco yes. to send out? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. We work with, uh, like, th- I think we work a little bit with the general management offices, mm-hmm. but it's our job to sort of create that thing. Whatever the thing is, we have to make it, advertise it. Booklets are really popular. So that kind of, like, it's our responsible to say, like, okay, here are our nominations. Like, we need to show off this through this production photo or this through, the, like, whatever letter from whatever creative, that kind of thing. Hmm. It's interesting because you must have shows that are running against each other in a way. I mean, it's not politics where you're jabbing each other with right. things. Um, but how do you balance staying true and loyal to fully advertising one show that's up against another show right i is that ever a conversation i'm sure i'm sure it is i haven't experienced that myself i worked on again like i said i worked on beetlejuice and i worked on the ferryman which were up for 
completely different things and and not really butting heads at all. But I think the agency as a whole, we had a lot of things. Like, we had Beetlejuice, which I worked on, and then we had Hadestown. So those are both going up against each other for best musical. Um, I think... I don't know what the crossover looks like internally on who's working, if anyone is working on both of those shows mm. at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe it's set up that way so that you on don't purpose, have to. Yeah. yeah, so that you don't have to put your hand in both. Right. But I think just the best thing you can do is is try your best for each client and for each show. And you have to look at them. You have to look at what else is going on. Uh, in the landscape, but you kind of have to also have a very siloed view of like, okay, this is this show right now. What can we be doing to best help this show? I was just going to ask how shows or accounts come to you specifically. Are you because I know you said that your your company will pitch the the producers mm-hmm. for your company to take on that show as a client, but how does a show fall into your lap as an account executive? I think sometimes it. It can come from interest. Like if we get a new show and I say, oh, I'm specifically interested in working on this show, I can communicate that to my supervisor and we can have a conversation about like what it looks like for me to join that team. Um, but I think oftentimes it's just like our my supervisor will kind of look at how the work is evenly balanced between, like I said, there's only three of us. Um, so we kind of look at who you know who's got what going on um and from there we'll decide who will work on the next show but i think like i said if i were to communicate a specific show that i was interested in for whatever reason maybe it's the creative team or maybe it's the producer uh then i'm sure i I would get the chance to work on that show which is really fun yeah yeah, i love that because it it, like because if i don't makes it feel so so much more passion filled yeah yeah and like that way like you're really you're more not more likely but you're just more inspired to like really do like the best work because you're so passionate about and i mean even the the way you're speaking about beetlejuice and your body language is (laughs) i wish the listeners can see how how lit up you are over this show such a good show. I, I feel like this show is really unique in their branding and advertising and there's two things in particular that i really was excited to get a chance to ask you about one of them I'm a Playbill nerd. Okay. And you guys have this this really interesting, unique uh, way to get people to come see the show is Mm -hmm. by collecting different designs of Playbills. So I'll let you talk about it. But back in October, you guys released a limited edition Beetlejuice Playbill um, for, for, I guess, Halloween? It w- well, so the month of October, we really tried to own that. And so we had uh, 31, 31 deos of October. Um, and there was just something going on literally every day for the entire month. And whether that was like a social activation or like a partnership, there was like a brand who had put out like an exclusive item for us. Surprise and delights at the theater, costume contests every week. Like it was huge. Uh, so the playbill cover was just a part of that it was just like we're owning october so for one month only here's this limited edition playbill cover and from that it it got such a positive response the inter- that like the fandom bro- broadway fandom internet blew up absolutely over that and because are you guys that right and are you guys um going in to see what people are saying about it how are you guys going in and and seeing what the audience responses are to this buzz that was created from just changing the cover of a playbill which most shows do every couple months right it 
we have our social team who is really, really, really awesome. Um, and they are constantly monitoring what's going on online. So when the Playbill cover was revealed, like the Instagram comments and like tweets and all of that, like we see it because it's coming like right at us because we run the social. Obviously, there was a lot of buzz from it and you guys continued to make different limited edition monthly Playbill covers. So I, I think you guys are on like your fourth for third or fourth so. and yeah. so what what was the decision to to keep that going i think it, part of it was just kind of born out of the response to the yeah. first one like this is huge people are loving it and like a very unique portion of our audience just comes from people who want to see the show multiple times so like how do we continue to incentivize people coming back to enjoy our show not just because it's good but like how do we get people yeah. to like want to keep coming time and time again so a new playbill every month and what's really exciting is right now we're running this playbill contest where fans can submit fan art because that's such a huge part of uh this fandom is just how much people are willing to create based on what they're inspired by from the show and so now we have this whole contest where people are submitting their art and we're gonna we get to choose a couple of them and then they're gonna go up to a public vote and then it's going to be a playbill cover. And like, I don't think a Broadway show has ever done that before. And it's I think so it is cool. so cool. Well, I think you guys have really like inspired other, it seems like other shows are following this trend. I mean, Moulin Rouge just did February, a, mm -hmm. a limited edition cover. Um, so I, I don't know. It's kind of cool that it's you guys so much fun. maybe started a trend with that. We'll um, take I it. find it really exciting because I, I you know, playbill is something that's really like sacred to me. I keep everyone that I've seen a show and Mary's heard all the all the talk about my playbill collection yeah. of just everything that thing. I've seen it's just really special to me and, I'm the same and way. I have to be stacks. to even go as far as taking your campaign into the into that aspect of a theater going experience is so cool um, but the other piece of Beetlejuice that's so interesting is the TikTok. Oh yes. So yes, yes. Can I yes. ask one question about the playbill though? Yeah, yeah. So the so the different designs, and I don't know if I've seen all of them. I'm pretty sure if there's only four, I think I've seen like three of the four. I'm pull up the Instagram. Oh please. <laughs> so the the designs and the images that you're that are featured, to me, seem like they give pretty different um, vibes of what the show is about. Mm -hmm. Because wasn't one of them Lydia? One of them was Lydia. One of them was uh, the Maitlands. One was the Dietz, Dietzes. And so it's just really focusing in on on the bigger characters of the show. Yeah, which I think is awesome because I had a conversation with someone, I'm not going to name names, where they like <laughs> had a full-on debate w about Lydia singing the last song of the show and like that she's really the star of the show, even though yeah. it's named Beetlejuice. We don't have to get into it now. Wow. But I think it was interesting. As soon as I saw that she was on the cover of the Playbill, I was like, wow, this kind of like fits in with what this person was saying and how how they viewed Lydia as the character or the star of the show over Beetlejuice. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm. I think that's an absolutely fair argument to make also. <laughs> I'll connect you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the TikTok, can you just explain? Because I think it's something that we may be seeing a lot more from 
productions. And I'd like to get your input on that. If you feel like that's going to be the case where a lot of your campaigns will start having TikTok accounts. As... Well, we're already seeing several other Broadway shows yeah. like, implement yeah. this too, which I think is really cool. Yes. Um, I'm so glad that you asked because there's almost nothing I could go on and on for days about that like TikTok. I love it so much. Um, I fell down a rabbit hole last oh week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's I've so never, easy I've, to do. I don't have it. Please. Um, this is my one <laughs> ask. For you, for Mary, everyone talk listening, about it. I want you to download TikTok, if only for a week. Let okay. yourself kind of roam around. If you don't like it, I give you permission like to delete it. Vine. Yeah, it, but it's better like, from what I've been told. It's like it reminds me of like Vine and like Musically. If you're familiar with that app, it, it's a it's a weird sort of hodgepodge of things. But TikTok is interesting because we didn't we didn't start there. Like in terms of Beetlejuice, like we didn't start on TikTok at all. Um, we just kind of there was one uh, TikTok in particular that kind of blew up and it ended up on Twitter and on Instagram and was getting like millions of views and that's when we kind of just like we realized oh like our music is on TikTok and people are using like sounds from our cast album and they have absolutely no idea this is a real life musical on Broadway that they can go see they just know that this song is really cool and they want to do like a lip syncing video to it. Yeah I mean I was at the library that I work at and the kids after school were singing dang dang diggity dang dang right, from, from heathers, heathers yeah. and, and i'm like do you guys even know what heathers is it's very inappropriate please don't <laughs> listen to the right. whole recording keep listening to that section right it it really took us by surprise so i think that our uh, again props to our social team especially jen gressley who's rocking it on our social for beetlejuice we had to learn. We had to learn what what is TikTok? Like, why are the kids so hype about TikTok? And we, I mean, I know I felt like a super old person, and I'm not even that old. But I was like, why? Why is everyone so obsessed with this? And then you download it, <laughs> and then you learn. And I think the place that Beetlejuice and and other Broadway shows like Heather's or like Six, the place that they have in this escape is that they have. Uh, this music that is just so good and so applicable to different like scenarios and jokes and dances earworms and yeah it's and it 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 just works and so our social team started I downloaded it I, I say that I was being like you know moral support but I really just wanted to know what was going on on TikTok uh, and we all started to learn about what this space looks like like what are what are the stats that you use to measure like success on TikTok? And the biggest, the, I think to me, the most important thing is like, is your sound being used? And so I think that even moving forward with like what we do with Beetlejuice on TikTok now that we have an account, feel free to follow. Um, the most important thing is like putting sounds out into this space that that gives these kids more to create with. It's not about like can F filling ours, their toolbox. Yeah, it's yeah. not like can our stars do like the latest dance. Like that's not it doesn't that doesn't matter. If we have they care about this show. They like these songs. If we can pull out the lyrics that are clever, we can pull out the things that are funny and we put those on TikTok, then they're using our sound to make whatever it is that they want. Like we don't want to control this conversation. We just want to give you more like you said tools to use to just do what you were already doing. It's it's very smart. <laughs> it's it's just so much do you, fun. Do you think that I'm trying I want to I have a question about the audience because 
the audience in DC was very different from the audience it is now. Right. Right? Because you said it was very rated R, I guess. The show was, just was different. And I yeah, we it marketed darker. it that way. Yeah, to say, like, this is an adult show. It's it's adult humor. It's funny. And, like, this is what it is. Um, but shifting the messaging and even the show shifting itself definitely changed who we saw as our audience. Yeah. So, like, TikTok, I'm, my guess is that it's geared towards the younger generations, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, like, the perfect, like audience for it yeah it's just the per it's the perfect avenue to them i know a lot of broadway shows and even just brand like larger brands are get jumping on tiktok because it's like sometimes i don't know it just as a, an advertising nerd like gen z is like super hard to get to in some ways because it's like they grew up in a digital space they don't care about your digital banners. Like, they don't care about... Like, sometimes they don't even care about, like, your Instagram story ads. But they spend hours and hours on TikTok. So if you can, like, swipe through and you get an ad that, like, makes sense for you or if you hear, like, a sound with, like, your favorite TikToker, like, doing a dance or something to it, then that that resonates. And you've made a connection that you, like, probably wouldn't have been able to make otherwise. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that that you guys are probably going to develop and um, and learn from in this case. Absolutely. I think where it makes sense, a, a lot of shows are going to start to use TikTok. I mean, it can't be every single show because it, it yeah it, that's not every maybe show not is going to have that yeah. sort of audience that they're trying to get into right and sometimes just even with the material like maybe it's not the most appropriate for your show to like even be on um tiktok but i think that a lot of shows where it makes sense and where your audience is gen z we're gonna start to see a lot of broadway shows on tiktok I, I like that with tiktok you're not just hitting like the Broadway community that you're really it's it's exposure like what you said at the beginning of our conversation how you're, it's the exposure to people who would have never had touched Broadway right in a million years mm -hmm. I'm interested are you guys handling national tour campaigns as well we or do. are you strictly Broadway we do uh, handle national tours. I personally haven't had mm -hmm. any experience with okay. them just yet um, but we do and I feel like much like Broadway, the tour market is all about like advertising to those specific cities. That's what I was really interested in talking about. I, I, and I don't know if you can give us any insight on, you know, the changes that you guys make from city to city, whether that be um, key art for that show or the types of ads that you run and what kind of message you're trying to get across. I mean, we spoke, uh, Mary and I spoke with a stage manager over the summer on a different podcast that we uh, hosted for the Broadway teaching group. And I think it, this was even off air, so you can't even hear it uh, in an episode. But she talked to us about um, when she was on tour for Matilda as a stage manager, and mm -hmm. she, would, she would notice the marketing campaigns were different um, from city to city based on this is a family-friendly city or mm -hmm. this city is more geared towards older people so you have to kind of lessen the cheesy kid kiddiness of matilda right so i'm wondering do you uh have any insight on that we partner with tour marketing 
companies like Allied is one to make sure that they have all the tools that they need because they're more um, in touch with the people who are marketing in these individual cities. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we can do is like provide them those tools. We do a style guide to just say like everything from as simple as like here's the font and the colors we use to like here's how these things should appear like near each other. Just giving them kind of a guide to like here's how we have marketed on Broadway. Here are all of the assets um, that you could use. But it's kind of up to the tour marketing people who are, are in contact with these cities and maybe even the cities themselves to sell it. The thing about that's interesting on Broadway is that we're almost always selling shows as open end. So we're all competing with each other and there's like 41 different theaters. But in that sense, like you could go see one show one day and then a month later, go see another show. But like the big thing for the people who are marketing these tours is like, you've got a season and this one show is gonna be here for like between anywhere between like one and four weeks. So like, how do you get people to buy into that show? Mm. Yeah, it's also interesting um, because the country is so, I mean, you, you, you even hear of shows that won't go to certain areas because of the content that's, that the show is based around. Right. So I find that interesting because even people around the country that aren't, um, aren't able to get to Broadway may never get this show because it's just not suitable for that audience. Like mannerisms in the community are just different. yeah. 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 It's interesting. I have specific examples, but I, I don't want to say them. Um, <laughs> I have a question about, um, you said that you also represent or work with Lincoln Center and yes. other institutions, right? Yeah. And so with Lincoln Center specifically, just because I'm more familiar with, with that company is they have many shows. Yes. And they have concerts and they have other types of programming. Are you marketing, are you marketing all of those types of things that are coming underneath Lincoln Center? No, we work uh, specifically on Lincoln Center Theater. So that's shows that happen in the Vivian Beaumont. Okay. That's uh, the Mitzi Newhouse. And then we have LCT3, which is kind of like off-off-Broadway. Really cool stuff. It's in the uh, Claire Tao Theater, I believe. So is that – I guess they – I thought they had a marketing like department in-house, but I guess that that's you guys – well, for like I said, for their theater stuff, so maybe that for, like, is, the uh, opera for their theater, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then are you guys meeting with them pretty frequently, because or on like a season by season basis? We meet with them pretty frequently because I, I, I the thing about institutions is that something is always happening. There's always a new show opening and closing, um, and it could be something like our like off off Broadway kind of thing where it's like. We know the start and end dates, and then it could be something as big as, like, My Fair Lady, which I got the chance to work on for a little bit. Um, and so there's always shows kind of rotating in and out of those three venues. Uh, so it, it definitely keeps things interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious because I just am in love with your the start – not even the start, but how you got into Spotco. It's yeah. so inspiring that you were just took the initiative and just reached out. So I'm curious if you have any advice for – the younger you today um, or other people who are like looking to come up into this industry now? It could be in the marketing world or it could not. I, I would say marketing or not. I would just strongly encourage people to take that leap. I It can be the most scary thing. And 
uh, that one LinkedIn message wasn't like the only message that I sent and then it magically got answered and then I got the job. Like there were so many emails that never got answered and so many people who just never replied or even people who were like, I'm really sorry, but we don't have any openings or whatever. Like there's just, there's a lot of what feels like rejection before you maybe get to that one thing that you get to latch on to. But I would, I would say to just take that chance. It can be very scary, especially coming out of college um, when you don't have any work experience or even before that, when I was an intern, I didn't have any theater related experience really. Um, so I was like, I don't know if I'll even have a place here, but I would just love to learn. So I would say if you have a passion for any theater, non-theater, advertising, whatever, I would say just like take the leap. And if you have an email or a LinkedIn or whatever, like don't be afraid to to send that message because you don't know what can happen. The worst anyone can ever say is no. But by putting yourself out there, you're you're doing yourself uh, a huge favor. We always ask our guests as a final question, what was the last great piece of theater that you saw? Ooh. You know what? <laughs> I don't know if this is going to sound cheesy. It was To Kill a Mockingbird. Not cheesy. I just Mary saw that just this saw weekend. It. Oh, my God. I, I really loved it a lot. Um, I read the book in, like, sixth grade. I feel like everyone's probably read it. Does Spot co-manage it? We do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was wondering. Yeah. Um, we do. It. I loved the show so, so much, and I liked the story a lot when I was in middle school, um, but I think there was something to watching it now in the times that we live in, in this political climate, with everything that's going on. And I'm, I'm saying this as an African-American woman, it it was a lot. And I love theater that makes you think, and I love theater that makes you feel, because you could walk away from that experience and be like, oh, this was like a great stage adaptation of the book. But like, I think for me personally, I see it as like, wow, it's like, not only shocking that something like this happened in this time that they're supposed to be representing, but also that these things are still happening. And they, you know, it, I cried like three times. Um, but I think that really speaks to the story, the storytellers, all that, that cast is fantastic. Amazing. Um, and it's just, it's just an important story to be telling right now. And so I think, I think that's why it works. Also, all those kids getting to see the show in Madison Square Garden that blows so my mind. Cool. If I like so many people. Oh my god. Even going back to like young me not being able to see Broadway, like to have that opportunity where you get to like sit and just enjoy theater that these kids may or may not ever be able to afford to see or even get the chance to see. Like now now they've seen this. This is probably a lot of kids like first Broadway show and I think that's incredible. So unique. I, and I didn't even realize that was happening. I, I hadn't seen anything about it beforehand. And then I saw somebody posted a picture of the playbill. Of, oh, with the, the Madison Square with the Garden, Madison Square on, Garden it, yeah. on it. And I was like, what? And I looked it up. It was just so, so uh, unique for those people to experience. How can people stay connected with you on social media and uh, which shows are currently running that they could go support your work? Yeah. So I'm on social media. I'm at Stevie Coleman. No dashes, no periods on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Um, and yeah, the shows that I work on, you can go see Beetlejuice before we bounce out of the Winter Garden on June 6th. Um, yeah, I would recommend that to anyone, to any and all. Great. Go we'll, see the show. We'll put it in the description notes. Great. All Thanks so much for coming Thank and you. joining us for an episode. Oh, 
I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.